Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. As always, wonderful, wonderful worship. Second Samuel chapter 6 tonight. Second Samuel chapter 6. Continuing our series through the book of Second Samuel. And we're looking at David, the model of a growing leader. And this whole study is built on the foundation and the truth that God wants us to be leaders. All of us. Whether we look at ourselves as leaders or not, God created us to be leaders. And one day in his kingdom, we will be leaders. And so he wants to grow us to be leaders. And we're learning a lot about what that looks like. And tonight, as only God could do it, because I didn't know exactly where I was going to land between the message on Sunday and our worship Sunday and tonight. But tonight, really the theme that runs through this entire chapter speaking about the Ark of the Covenant, is worship. And so immediately we learn that a leader pursues worship. A leader is a worshiper. You cannot be a leader in God's kingdom and not be a worshiper of God. A leader must be one who pursues the presence of God. That's exactly what David was doing here by taking the Ark and wanting it to be in the new capital city that he's just uh, gotten from the Jebusites, Jerusalem. And he wants the Ark of the Covenant to be the very center of the national life of Israel because the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the very presence of God. Now many people have learned about the Ark of the Covenant through the movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark, back in 1980-something. Um, and it is a very accurate picture of what the Ark would have looked like. But the Ark of the Covenant was very important to the Jewish people. God gave them this Ark. And so we see here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, David again assembled all the best men in Israel, 30,000 in number. David and all the men who were with him traveled to Balon in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned between the cherubim that are on it. I also want to point out that leaders remember that God is on the throne that he is enthroned. And that word in the Hebrew language means to stay, to remain. No one's going to push God off the throne. No one's going to take God's throne from him. God is always on the throne. He is always in control. And we must remember that. And that was symbolized even in the Ark of the Covenant. But I want you to notice through this chapter... There are three sort of perspectives about worship that we see here in chapter 6. There is careless worship that we're going to see first of all. Then there is correct worship. And then there is critical worship. Meaning someone being critical of David worshiping the Lord. So let's talk about these tonight and maybe learn some things about leadership and growing as a leader. Verse 3. They loaded the ark of God on a new cart. And notice in verse 3, Samuel mentions this new cart twice. 
and carried it from the house of Abinadab. The Ark of the Covenant was with the Philistines for a while, but it caused so many problems, the Philistines gave it up and it landed in the house of Abinadab. And the Bible says Abinadab had two sons, Uzzah and Ahio. The sons of Abinadab were guiding, notice, the new cart. Now the reason why Samuel mentions this is God had given the Israelites, through Moses, specific instructions that if they ever moved the ark, here's how they were to move it. I mean, down to the detail. You and I have been learning, our God is a God of details. And one thing about leadership is remembering the details. Sometimes it's the small things that add up. It's not necessarily the big things. And what was going to happen here was this. David and all these people were very sincere in what they were doing. They were doing a good thing. They were going to bring the ark to Jerusalem, make it the very center of national life. That was all good, right? They were all enthusiastic. They were all sincere. They were all genuine. But they were going to move the ark in a way that God said it should never be moved. And one of the things that we learn then is this. God not only cares about what we do, but how we do it. If we're going to secure God's blessing, then God's work must be done in God's way. And what we're going to see here in just a moment is, they did not bother to consult God about how to move the ark. They did not go to the word of God, the writings of Moses, to see what God said about how to move the ark. They just, in presumption, just started to move it like the Philistines moved the ark. When the Philistines had the ark, they moved it with a cart. That's not how God said to move it. God said anytime the ark is to be moved, first of all, there's only one line of priests that have the, the right, if you will, the privilege before God to move the ark. They were called the Kohathites from the family of Kohath. So even within the whole Aaronic priesthood, there was only one family of Kohathites that was ever supposed to move the ark. And it was never to be moved on a cart, even though a cart would be easier, a cart would be more expedient. But God doesn't always call us to what's easy and to what's expedient. God calls us to do it His way, whether it's easy or expedient or not. God called it to be moved on foot with poles. And as it was moved, it would be covered by badger skins. That's the way God prescribed it to be moved. But notice, verse 3, they loaded it on a new cart, carried it there, and they were guiding it. Verse 4, they brought it with the ark of God up from the house of Abinadab on the hill. Alio was walking in front of the ark, and while David and all Israel were energetically celebrating, and we're going to talk about that, there is nothing wrong with exuberant celebration and worship of God. But what we're going to learn here about the carelessness of worship is we must always balance our exuberant celebration and worship of God with reverence and respect for God. It's the balance between worshiping God in spirit and in truth. God later on is going to inhabit the praise of his people. And he's going to welcome the exuberant celebration, but only because it's done the way God prescribed it to be done. God is not going to accept worship that isn't obedient. And they were being disobedient. 
As we've seen throughout our study of David, when David consulted God and asked God how to do something and God told him, he never got in trouble. But when David or anyone else failed to consult God or failed to look into the word of God to see what God's word said about how to do something, then they always got into trouble. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. Verse six, or verse five, while David and all Israel were energetically celebrating before the Lord, singing, playing various stringed instruments, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. When they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and grabbed hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord was so furious with Uzzah, he killed him on the spot for his negligence. He died right there beside the ark of God. Now, a couple things. As, as you and I, even as Christians, view that, our first response is like, wow, that's pretty harsh. They were trying to do something right, but they were doing it in the wrong way. See, just because we surmise in our minds that we're doing, God, I'm doing this for you, right? The, the, the reason we're doing this is so, you know, you'll be at the center of, of, of Israel. The we're doing a good thing. But from God's perspective, they were trying to do a good thing in the wrong way. Again, God cares as much about how we do something as what we're doing. And the idea here is that the Bible clearly teaches that when God judges, his judgment is always right. Because God can see into people's hearts and know the background of everything. And remember something. Part of, I think, what led to this was the ark for a while, for many months, was in the house of Abinadab. So Uzzah was around the ark of God all the time. He woke up, saw the ark over there, went to bed, saw the ark was there. And maybe Uzzah became too comfortable, too familiar with that which symbolized the very presence of God that led him to this carelessness. And the reason I say that is because when the Bible says God killed him on the spot for his negligence in the Hebrew, the word negligence means to mislead through irreverence and carelessness. From God's perspective, what he knew about Uzzah, what he knew about his heart, what he knew about the whole situation was that maybe Uzzah was the whole reason that it was being done the way it was done. Maybe he was the one that said to David, hey, the ark's in our house, let's bring it up this way, let's carry it this way on the cart, whatever. However it was, from God's perspective, this man was misleading others by his irreverence and his carelessness in handling a holy God. And there's one thing about our God. He's holy. And we must always respect and reverence who he is. Today in our Christian culture, many Christians and many ministries and many churches get to the point where they want to make God so comfortable with people that we lose that reverence and respect for who God is. And God always will maintain his holiness. There will always be a separateness between God and the rest of his creation because he alone is holy. And the other thing that I want to point out is when the Bible says the Lord was furious, the word talks about a zealousness. 
In other words, again, the reason why God did this is because he was zealous for his own holiness. And Uzzah died right there beside the ark. Careless worship. There's nothing wrong with getting excited about God. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. There's nothing wrong with exuberant celebration. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in God's presence. God wants us and welcomes us to be in His presence. As Nicole pointed out, that, that's, how we, that's how we live. That, that's how we maintain our strength. That, that, that's how we get through life, is by spending time in the presence of God. But we must always balance the fact that we have the privilege of being in God's presence with remembering who He is as well. Moses was in His presence, but God did remind him, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. I want a fellowship with you. I want you to be in my presence. I want us to commune together and have great fellowship, but always remember who I am. I'm God. And they failed to do that. But then we see, notice David's reaction, verse 8. David was angry because the Lord attacked Uzzah. Literally, the word means to burn or be hot. He was really upset that God did that. So he called that place Perez Uzzah, which remains its name to this very day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. The word afraid means to have reverence and respect, to stand in awe. And again, there's a healthy fear of God and an unhealthy fear of God. God never wants any of us to have an unhealthy fear of God. And many Christians do. They, they struggle with getting into the presence of God and being close to God because of maybe their religious background, their upbringing, whatever. You know... But there's also that healthy fear that they had lost here. And David was starting to regain some of that. Maybe even David, by, from the time he was a shepherd boy, spending time in God's presence in those fields out there, tending the sheep, maybe even David had gotten so comfortable and familiar with being in God's presence that he forgot to maintain who God was. But you'll notice something interesting. David does something that sometimes I think we do in our own lives. We do something, especially something that we think is good, something that's right, something that God should be applauding and commending. God, I did this for you, right? And then it doesn't work out. And instead of looking at ourselves and repenting of maybe, maybe God, I didn't do this the way you told us to, we get angry and we withdraw. And we're angry at God because it didn't work out, even though God told the people in His Word exactly how to do it. It wasn't God's fault that it didn't turn out. It wasn't God's fault that Uzzah died. It wasn't God's fault that they failed to consult Him. It wasn't God's fault that they failed to look into His Word. It's again like Christians today. We'll, we'll fail to consult God. We'll fail to look into His Word about how to do something. And we go out and even maybe do something for God. We're trying to do something good. And it doesn't work out. And then we throw up our hands and get mad at God and say, God, why didn't this work out? And I know what God has said to me many times. Well, Jeff, did you do it the way I told you to do it? 
Oh, well, never thought about that. And so David said, how will the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Verse 9. It's like he throws up his hands, he pouts, he starts throwing a pity party, like we do many times when things don't work out, and he withdraws. So David was no longer willing, verse 10, to bring the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Now, Samuel doesn't give us all the details. You've got to take into account what Samuel says, what Chronicles says, what King says about these parallel events. But if you go to Chronicles, when David goes back, even before he starts to hear that the Lord is going to bless Obed-Edom for having the ark in there, David evidently gets the idea, maybe I should look at what the Word of God says about how to carry the ark. And he starts to get informed about what God's word said. So the next thing I want to emphasize here is leaders always, always consult the word of God. We cannot make moves in our life without consulting the Lord in prayer and finding out what his word says. David and all this would have been spared if they simply would have taken time to look into the Word of God because God, again, gave them great detail to exactly how the Ark of the Covenant should be moved every time it was moved. But anyway, the Bible says David left it in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, verse 10. Literally, though, it meant David held it out to Obed-Edom. It was probably one of those things after what happened to us. It's like, no, I don't want the ark. No, the ark's not coming to my house. No, 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 no. And maybe it was like David offers it to Obed-Edom and says, will you take the ark into your house? And the cool thing here is Obed-Edom, in spite of what happened to Uzzah, said, yeah, I'll take it in. Because in spite of what happened to Uzzah, I think Obed-Edom, this Gittite, interestingly from Gath, the same hometown that Goliath was from, who was now living in Israel, says, having the presence of God in my life is more important. In a sense, it's, it's worth the risk, the privilege of having the presence of God in my home is worth the risk. Isn't it interesting that we go, wow, the Ark of the Covenant was in this guy's house. Wow. Think about this, folks. God just hit me with this the other day. We have the third person of the Trinity living within us. That's even better. I mean, this was, this was symbolic of the presence of God, but this wasn't God. God lives within us. We get to carry God everywhere we go. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And notice the Lord blessed, favored Obed-Edom and all his family. This guy's, because the presence of God was in that home, he was receiving blessing. And that's what happens to us. If we're willing to open ourselves up to the presence of God, and just treat God with respect and reverence, all kinds of blessings and favor from God will come. There is nothing better than to be in the presence of God. Nothing. A leader will always run after God. A leader will always pursue the presence of God. 
a leader will always pursue worship. So David was told, verse 12, hey, the Lord has blessed the family of Obed-Edom and everything he owns because of the ark of God. So again, somewhere between what David was finding out about what was happening in Obed-Edom's family and the fact that in Chronicles it tells us he took the time to finally find out what the word of God said, David then, the Bible says, went and joyfully brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. There was now gladness and rejoicing in David's life because of two things. There was that exuberant celebration of of having the presence of God now in Jerusalem, coming to Jerusalem. But there was also the fact that David now was treating the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized God's presence, with reverence and respect. He was going to do it God's way now. And there's nothing that brings more joy and gladness to our lives when we pursue God and when God says, now I want you to do this, and we do it exactly the way God said to do it. I think about stories throughout the Bible. I'm just going to pick one out tonight. Noah. 120 years building a boat. But Noah was filled with joy because when you and I are doing the work of the Lord In the way God wants it to be done, there is nothing that fulfills us and satisfies us and brings more gladness and joy to our life than that. Because God's with us, and His presence is there. And that's exactly now what David was beginning to experience. Think about the three months that David was maybe sulking back in Jerusalem. I don't like the way God handled that thing with Uzzah. He should have never killed him. I'm never going to have the ark. Ark's never going to be in Jerusalem. I'm never going up there and get that. But God began to change David's heart. And maybe that's just one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why God said, this was a man after my heart. Because even when David made mistakes, David was willing to come back around and realize the mistake that he made and take responsibility and say, okay, God, let's do this again because I know you're the God of second chances. You're the God of second opportunities. I'm going to do it your way now. And that's the cool thing about David. Instead of just throwing up his hands for good when something didn't go right, David got right back in after a time and said, okay, God, I'm ready to do this again, but I'm going to do it your way now instead of my way. So the Bible says in verse 13, Those who carried the ark of the Lord took six steps. Can you imagine? Put yourself here. The last time they were moving the ark, somebody died. So first of all, can you imagine who were going to be the six volunteers for this? You know, it'd be like if the ark of the covenant back, you know, a different time found itself to the Oasis church. And it's sitting up there on Sunday, say, you know. And I get up and say, hey guys, we need to move the ark. Uh, Any volunteers? Who wants to come up and move? Now, the last time we moved it, somebody died. But anybody want to volunteer to move the ark? You can imagine that, well, yeah. And then you can imagine, those, there was probably knees knocking and sweat dripping off of these guys as they took those six. Those six steps probably seem like long, long time. Because like, is God going to kill? I want to point this out. This is really cool. The word carried there in verse 13, carried the ark, literally means to lift up and exalt. We just sang about that tonight. I will exalt. 
But I want you to notice this. In lifting up and exalting the presence of God, that which symbolizes God himself, there's a weight to bear. That's something leaders need to realize. The more you and I lift up God and exalt Him, there's a weight there with that. There's a weight of responsibility with that that we need to remember. Because with great privilege comes great responsibility. And the more we are allowed, especially in public, and and the more impact we make, and, and the more we're out there trying to lift up and exalt God, the more of a weight we bear along with that. It's not a bad weight. But it's something that we're conscious of or should be as we move through our lives. And then notice, after they took six steps, David sacrificed. And notice he offered a very costly sacrifice because worship involves sacrifice. And leaders will be willing to offer costly sacrifice because what David offered was an ox and a fatling calf. Two of the most expensive, if not the most expensive offerings you could offer. David was one, if I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to give God the very best that I can give. It's going to cost me something. Leaders are going to be willing to pay the price. They're going to be willing to sacrifice. Now, David, verse 14, was also wearing a linen ephod. This was a priestly garment. Something very important there. He was a king, yes, but we're going to see in a minute. He took off his kingly robe, his kingly garment, and he, put, he left on his priestly garment underneath. And one thing I want to point out about priests is this. The office of the priesthood was primarily designed for those people to prepare other people to meet God. That's what a priest did. A priest spent their whole life trying to get God and people connected. That's what priests did. That's even why they offered sacrifices. Though the prophet primarily spoke the word of God, the priest was always involved in interceding and mediating and try to bring God and people together and try to prepare their hearts so that they could meet and spend time in God's presence. In fact, no Old Testament office spent more time in the presence of God than the priest did. They had a true appreciation for the holiness of God. And we see that here with David. David, in a sense, by even wearing the linen ephod, is showing that he's trying to connect these people with his God and bring them together. That's the whole reason why he was motivated to bring the ark to Jerusalem in the first place. And then the Bible says he was dancing. Dancing. Okay, I won't go Literally in the Hebrew, he was whirling. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I thought about it, but I'm not going to do it. But here's what I want to point out. He was dancing, notice, with all his strength before the Lord. All his might. In other words, when he was exuberantly celebrating God, he was so happy that God's presence was going to be here and that that God was going to be the very center of everything. And, And he was so overcome by God and all of this, he was just giving it everything he had. Again, that's, that's what we're encouraging us as a church to do. That when we come together, that we give it everything we've got. 
in our worship of God, in our, in our encouragement of one another, in getting into the Word of God. And then when we go out from this place, after we've gathered together, that we give it everything we got. That's what leaders do. They don't leave anything, in a sense, on the... T- they, they, they put it all in. They've got skin in the game. They, they're, they're all in. They're holding nothing back. And that was David. He was dancing with all of his might. That was really convicting to me. Because there's been many times in my life as a Christian, and I'm just going to pick on this one aspect of worship, the idea of us singing praises and stuff, to where, I, honestly, I, I wasn't giving it everything I had. Like, wow. Well, if I'm not giving it everything I have in that area, then maybe there's other areas I'm not giving it everything I have. And David is a great example for us that when he worshiped, he worshiped. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. David and all Israel, verse 15, were bringing up the ark of the Lord, shouting with joy and blowing trumpets. Again, there is nothing wrong with exuberant celebration. God loves it for us to celebrate Him and to be happy. See, treating the Lord with reverence and respect doesn't mean we sit around soaking and souring and, and somber and sober and never have any fun. And No, that's not what it means. We can, as we see here, we can reverence and respect God and do what He's asking us to do in His way and still have a blast doing it and be celebrating In fact, very interestingly, I'll say this, I wasn't planning on it, but in the Hebrew language, this word was used to describe children at play. How cool is that? God still lets us play. Even when we get older, we can play as we worship. So verse 16, as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Saul's daughter, Mishal, looked out the window. When she saw King David leaping, And dancing before the Lord, she despised him. In the first part of this chapter, we saw careless worship. That's why Uzzah died. In the middle part of this chapter, what we just went through, we saw correct worship. We saw David and the rest of Israel balancing respect and reverence for God with exuberant celebration. I mean, they were singing, they were dancing, they were leaping, they were filled with joy, and they were doing it with everything they had. Not a thing wrong with that. But now we come to critical worship. And again, what I mean by that is this. We as God's people, and especially as leaders who are putting ourselves out there, always have to remember this. There will always, always, always be those like David's wife who will sit on the sidelines, who do not and are not willing to participate. I mean, she could have went up there and been part of the celebration and bring the ark back. Instead, she decided to stay in Jerusalem, and when she sees David acting this way, she begins to criticize David. There will always be critics. There will always be those who sit on the sidelines and will pick apart what you're doing for God. You can't let that discourage you. It certainly didn't David. The word despised here means to regard with contempt, to disdain. I mean, it wasn't just like, I don't like you doing that. I mean, it was just like, ooh. That was her reaction. 
Isn't that the way it is sometimes too? God's working in our life or we're going up to another level. We're spiritually growing and all of a sudden somebody comes into our life and it may even be a family member. Sometimes that is the way it is and just throws a bucket of cold water on our spiritual fire. We're all excited and we're, you know, look at what God's doing and whatever and we're trying to, and all of a sudden, it's the way it is a lot of times. Verse 17 says, they brought the ark of the Lord and put it in its place in the middle of the tent that David had pitched for it. The word put in its place means to establish priorities. Leaders will always establish priorities and revisit priorities in their life. God always needs to be in his proper place. What other things in our life needs to be in proper place? Do we have our priorities right? These are things that spiritual leaders will always take a look at periodically. Then David offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. Because leaders, worshipers, will always acknowledge their own unworthiness. Part of the reason why David was offering these sacrifices is because he realized the whole reason we are able to even get into the presence of God or have the presence of God with us is because of the sacrificial system. So cool nowadays in the New Testament, the reason we can enter the presence of God at any time is because of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. We have access at all times to God. But we also must always acknowledge we don't come into the presence of God and spend time with Him in His presence and fellowship with Him and commune with Him because we're worthy. We are there in His presence because of His worthiness, not ours. And that's what the sacrifices reminded David of. When David finished offering the burnt sacrifices and peace offerings, he pronounced a blessing over the people in the name of the Lord. He handed out, don't miss this, food! He handed out to each member of the entire assembly of Israel, both men and women, a portion of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake. A happy meal! It was the original happy meal in the Old Testament. Everybody had a worship happy meal in Jerusalem. David made sure of it. Because they were happy. Because you know one of the other things about a worshiper, one who's pursuing the presence of God, one who's leading, it's going to create a spirit of generosity. See, the words handed out in verse 19 literally mean to share. David just wanted to share with people because of what God had done in his life, because he had spent time with God, because God was so good. He couldn't wait to be generous. God will build into our lives a generosity as we worship and pursue his presence. And that's exactly what happened here. By the way, just personally, I'd, I'd rather have a cheeseburger and fries than a date cake and a raisin cake. But anyway, verse 20, when David went home to pronounce a blessing on his own house, Mishal, Saul's daughter, came out to meet him. She said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself this day. By the way, the word distinguished means to have influence, but the idea there is you've had influence, all right. You've been a negative influence by the way you're acting. He has exposed himself. Well, not, not in a physical way. David didn't go streaking around. Remember, he had a linen ephod on. The word exposed means to reveal himself. In other words, 
By worshiping the way David did, he was making himself vulnerable. You and I, the more we put ourselves out there, even as Christians, but especially as God gives us leadership and and gives us stewardship and things to manage and puts us out there, it's going to make us vulnerable. We're going to be out there and, and there's going to be critics. Not everyone's going to like what we do. Not everyone's going to applaud. Not everyone's going to approve. Sometimes, just like in David's case, it's people within our own family. It's sometimes the people that are closest to us that we get the most negative reaction from. Just like David. You you can just see it. David's all excited. Such a great day. Comes home. Hopes his wife will be just right there with him. Boy, David, you really acted... Notice, you revealed yourself the day before his servant slave girls the way a vulgar fool might do. David replied to Mishal, verse 21. This is really important because we've seen this phrase at least four or five times now in this passage. It was before the Lord. David said, what I did in worshiping God wasn't for others. It was for the audience of one. Something we as Christians must remember. When we lead, when we worship, when we pursue God's presence, when we do anything, it is primarily to be before God. It's to God, as we learned on Sunday out of Colossians. We care too much sometimes about what this person thinks and what they're going to say and all this. Look, as David, we're going to have our critics. Not everyone's always going to be on board. But we're not supposed to be doing it for others. We're supposed to be doing it for God. And that's exactly what David said. I wasn't doing it for them. I'm not even doing it for you. I did it for the Lord. I was celebrating before the Lord. The word celebrate there means to rejoice, to sing, to dance. And David says to her, remember something, my wife. God put me in this leadership position. I didn't put myself in this leadership position. God put me there. That is so important. If God's called you to a leadership position, if God's placed on you a role, a ministry, whatever God has done for you, you got to remember and remind yourself always, in spite of the critics, God called me to do this. I didn't choose this. I, I didn't put myself in that position. God put me there. And that's what can, can hold you up and support you in those times, especially when you've got the naysayers in your life. He said, the Lord chose me over your father and his entire family and appointed me as the leader over the Lord's people. I am willing, notice verse 22, we're almost done. I am willing to shame and humiliate myself even more than this if it means God gets exalted. Notice here, David is basically saying, I'm willing to total totally abandon myself to God. If, if it makes me look lower, lightly esteemed, if, if, if me going lower makes God go higher, so be it. Total abandonment to God. Because David is saying here, it's not about me. It's about God. It's about exalting God. It's about lifting Him up. It is a weight that you and I will bear. But that's what leaders do. 
But with the slave girls whom you mention, let me be distinguished. Verse 22. David is saying, I will be an influence on those slave girls. But if they watched me closely, I, am, I was a good influence. I was a good example of what a leader should be. I was willing to worship my Lord and give it my all and not care what other people thought because I was just celebrating my God. And if that's bad, so be it. That's the kind of example David says, I want to be. And then notice, sort of the period of this whole passage is the Bible informs us in the very last verse of this chapter that David's wife, Saul's daughter, had no children to the day of her death. How does that tie in with what we just talked about? I think in this way. When God does bless a woman, a, a couple with children, automatically that brings that woman, especially that mother, an opportunity to influence. And remember, she just criticized very heavily how David was such a bad influence on the people of God. And God said, no, but I'm not going to permit you to be an influence on any children because you'll be a bad influence. I'm not going to permit you to have children to influence because your heart's not in the right place. One of the interesting things that I've learned in studying David's life is that I believe that Saul's daughter, Mashal, was in love with David, but never in love with David's God. And there's a lot of couples like that that I've run into in my life. One spouse marries another one. The spouse loves the other spouse, but they don't share the same love for the spouse's God that the other spouse does. And you certainly see that magnified here with David and Saul's daughter, Michal. Let's pray. As we go to prayer tonight and wrap up our Bible study, I just feel very impressed. To, we call our Bible study on Tuesday night refuel. And I just feel very impressed with the Lord tonight that we're all maybe here tonight at different levels of spiritual fuel in our lives. There, there may be some here tonight, your tank is full. Some of you here tonight may have come, your spiritual tank is three quarters, some a half, some a quarter. Some of you may be here tonight and you're spiritually on empty. No matter where we are tonight, I, I want you to know as you leave this place tonight that with just what we talked about tonight, by spending time in God's presence and reverencing, reverencing Him and respecting Him, but also celebrating Him at the same time, nothing can bring more fuel spiritually into our lives than that. Nothing. And so I just want to pray for all of us tonight that as we leave here, we would look to the Lord to fill us and refuel us. Because we all know that if we continue to live our lives at a spiritual empty level, 
or even a quarter of a tank or half a tank that eventually we're going to totally run out and we're not going to have anything left. And God never intended for any of us to live that way. That's why even in the Old Testament, before Jesus came in a body, there was the Ark of the Covenant that symbolized His presence amongst His people. And folks, if you're here tonight and you've invited Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Savior, you have God living within you tonight. The Holy Spirit is able to fill us up. As Jesus said in the Gospel of John, it's like we have streams and rivers of living water that just constantly can be springing up in our lives to overflowing. And so tonight, I just want to pray for all of us that instead of continuing to live our lives in a spiritually depleted condition, that we would allow God to begin to fill us up. God, thank You. Thank You for wanting to be a God that is close to us, that walks with us through every step of life, that there is no detail and nothing in our lives that You don't want to be a part of. God, I pray tonight that we would have even more out of this chapter, a hunger, a desire to pursue You, to run after You, to spend time with You, to worship You, to celebrate You like never before. And help us to follow the example of David. That when we worship, when we live for You, when we serve You, that we do it with everything we've got. Because You're worthy, God. You're so worthy. Thank You, God, for bringing us together tonight. Refuel us, God. This week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday. Don't